Welcome to the Hong Kong on Screen podcast, brought to you by Hong Kong on Screen, a Los Angeles-based nonprofit organization promoting films and culture of Hong Kong. Welcome to the Hong Kong On Screen podcast. This is Catherine. In this episode, I'm so happy to talk to San Diego artistic film artistic director Brian Hu. And Brian is also an associate professor in TV film and new media at San Diego State University. He is teaching classes on film theory and international cinema. Brian is also a podcast host with Ada San, and his podcast name Saturday School, which is actually is a very great podcast. I listen to that many times because they are talking about Asian American in、uh, in film, in Hollywood film, especially. I think, right? Okay, so thank you, Brian, for joining us to talk about the upcoming San Diego Asian Film Festival, particularly on the selection of Hong Kong films. Brian. First of all, thank you for having me.、Um, I'm such a fan of Hong Kong cinema that it's especially gratifying to be on a podcast dedicated to Hong Kong cinema. Thank you. And then I know the San Diego Asian Film Festival. You have a great program, right? And I checked your webpage. You are going to show like 130 films from 30 countries, which will be actually screened by started by this week, November 3rd and November 12th. So it's so amazing. Um, do you want to share with us a little bit about the San Diego Asian Film Festival a little bit, and how how did the film festival run? Is it curated, call for participation or invitation or something like that? Yeah. Sure.、Um, our the San Diego Asian Film Festival is now in its twenty third annual、um, edition, and we're very proud to say annual because it means we didn't take a break during COVID.、Um, <laughs> and we are about a third of our films are dedicated to Asian American. Filmmakers and Asian American subject matter, and that's in some ways the heart of our festival because we know that how important it is to give Asian American filmmakers a, a, a voice.、Um, but the bulk of our festival,、uh, about two thirds of it, are films from Asia,、um, and that ranges from very mainstream films to short films, documentaries, experimental films, and just like weird little things that we found along the way.、Uh, And our goal really is we 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 take pride in trying to create a cross section. So we don't necessarily say、um, this is how we wish Asian cinema could be. Like I, I think part of it is saying that acknowledging that there are many audiences for Asian cinema and trying to、um, pick films that re- represent that. Okay, are, are most of the film are like currently made? Like usually it's like two thousand twenty two, like current, right? But except the like the master section, I know those are like old film.、Mm-hmm. Well, um, yes.、Yeah, so we try to we we have an official cutoff of、okay. when when films qualify. So if it's over, I don't know, like fifteen months or something, by the time our festival rolls around, we, we're like, well, we could have just played that movie last year. Why didn't we play last year?、Um, We did make one exception, an important exception this year, which I'll get into later. It's it's Septet.、Okay. Um, so yeah, so otherwise our films are usually world premiered somewhere in the world the same year we play it. So this year most of our films have world premiered in 2022, and then we do have a section that we call Classics Restored, and、mm-hmm. these are, as the title suggests, classic films,、um, but they are restorations that have happened in the last couple of years. So it's a film that maybe. Was recently restored and had its and and is seeing the light of day in the last few years.、Um, so they yeah, still I, feel I, fresh. 
I know in this year you have two actually in that classic um, classic restore actually from Hong Kong, right? That's so right. we are going yep. to talk about that. Okay, so maybe the the next question I'm going to ask probably maybe a, a little bit like funny because I actually want to know how many Hong Kong films has been shown in this San Diego Asian Film Festival, like in total in the in past. Total. Like, All right, so I, I didn't count every single one, but I think I can estimate that in uh-huh. most years we play two feature films from Hong Kong. Wow. So average. Uh, on, on average, yeah. Okay. Um, so if prior to this year we had 22 editions, then maybe wow. 44 features. <laughs> but that's, that's just my, my guess. I'm okay. sure there's some years with more, some years with fewer. And of course, short films. Like we're, we often get submissions from Hong Kong um, and especially in recent years um, when this idea of an independent um, filmmaking voice I, I think has kind of had renewed importance in Hong Kong. I think the short films are, um, are worth looking into um, more carefully. So if like on average it's about two, so this year actually you picked seven, right? Is it like kind of like a lot compared it to like the previous edition? Yes. Wow. Um, and I will say this was not necessarily intentional, um, uh-huh. but I had I had certain things on my mind. Um, uh-huh. For inst- So last year, um, as you and many listeners would know, um, the uh, the government, or the Beijing government is now requiring all filmmakers in Hong Kong to submit their films f- for censorship review. Mm-hmm. Um, and when this happened last year, a lot of people online were basically saying Hong Kong cinema is dead. Um, mm-hmm. That's like why basically it's like your films don't belong to you anymore you have no voice you're just you, you know do whatever the mainland says and i totally understand why people would have that anxiety but to me calling hong kong cinema dead is it's not true right because mm-hmm. i think one of the great things about independent filmmaking is for, and in places in hong kong and elsewhere is that filmmakers are really smart like if they are trying to convey something they'll find a way to convey it they'll find a way to like um it, it's the films don't explicitly look objectionable to censors and they'll find they'll find a way through and you know hong kong cinema has done this for many years um exactly. and as well as if you turn to great examples of filmmakers in iran for instance or hell mm-hmm. even in china right like where there are yeah. where there's so much the whole 80s and 90s yeah fifth and sixth generation yeah and so there's a huge precedent for hong kong cinema maybe just finding a new way but mm-hmm. if if the passion just to have a voice will persist and i don't see why not the films will continue to be made and this year i think with that in the back of my mind i kept wanting to know more so maybe i just did a little bit more research in hong kong this year than usual because i maybe because um i thought it might be a little harder to find hong kong films and it turned out no it wasn't um and so i saw more films perhaps more feature films from hong kong this year and it just turned out a lot of them are really good. <laughs> so, wow. Okay. Uh, so that, that big number is also just a testament to Hong Kong filmmakers showing up and making great work. Well, that's great to hear that, right? Because that's one of the points that I set up this Hong Kong on screen and then continue. Like, actually, it's inspired by your podcast. As I think podcast actually is really a good medium and then it's really in a low cost, right? Cheap mm-hmm. to, to do it. And then so um, it's great to, to hear that. Um, so I know that you are already in this Asian, I mean, the San Diego Asian Film Festival for a long time. So are there any very memorable thing or like very special thing like on Hong Kong film screening that it happened in the past? Like you remember, like, 
I, I I'm not sure. Okay, but can you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are so many great examples from the past. I mean, back in the day, the martial art films, kung fu films, would be our number one sellout films. Yeah. <laughs> like this is before streaming, mm -hmm. um, and you know, if it had Jackie Chan or Donnie Yen or something like, mm -hmm. it would do really well. And so, just the excitement in a theater was always what made Hong Kong films so, like, uh, like the, like those screenings are had the best energy. But I would say the most memorable screening for any Hong Kong film we've had was actually last year, um, okay. when we showed Inside the Red Brick uh, Wall, um, mm -hmm. because not only was, did, not only did the the local Hong Kong audience really show up for the screening, um, mm -hmm. they pa we packed two auditoriums for it, um, but we actually so, I, so for those who don't know, um, this is a documentary about um, the uh, protesters that stormed a. a um, university um, and kind of the standoff that happened in, between protesters and the police. And that's and, also like kind of like mark the end of the movement kind right. of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you get that feeling like it's in the air throughout the mm -hmm. documentary. Like where, where do we, where can we go from here? Um, and so that film, that documentary was shot by anonymous documentary filmmakers um, mm -hmm. and in kind of an interesting way, like they they pooled resources, they pooled footage, so they're a collective, um, but they are unnamed um, yeah. for like privacy and security reasons. Um, I was I was yeah. there actually last time the screening, and then I I stayed there until the I mean the post screening discussion. That was great, right? Right. I, I remember that you were the host, and then. Um, because the producer, I mean, the filmmaker, they were anonymous, so they didn't show up their face, but they have their voice out. And but with the audience, the discussion of actually were, were great. Yeah. So I think that that would made that's what made it a legendary night yeah. that we yeah. had one of the filmmakers anonymously zooming in <laughs> to our screening. Yes. And we had no idea. For, I, I'm not in contact with the filmmakers. I, I was Stuart, the distributor um, mm -hmm. that who made the connection. So we had no idea who was going to be on the other line <laughs> yes, exactly. or how frank they were going to be. And we're, it was amazing that they were very frank about their experience um, and talked about the craft, talked about what it means to be a, a documentary filmmaker. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just feel like because they're not going to get an interview like this with them published, um, mm -hmm. that this that the conversation we had is is really like one of a kind i don't yeah 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 okay thank you so much um okay so let's go to today uh, i mean this year's your selection on the hong kong film right i think that's your expertise are because basically i think you should have a lot of criteria why you are selecting all this film but uh, from the, I mean, from your catalog, I think for the San Diego Asian Film Festival, you divide it into like six films. Uh, one is Asian pop. The second one is Asian American panorama and then classic restore. You just mentioned about that. And then another one, I think is based on the masters, like directors or maybe actors. And then um, you also have a section called special presentation. And then finally is unknown pleasure. And then this year you um, have how many Hong Kong films actually? Seven. seven or eight yeah. okay but that's one kung fu film i couldn't check any background on that film is it a kung oh kung fu film? I, I, I might as well mention this uh we have oh. every single festival we have something called mystery kung fu theater oh. um 
I will say usually it's a Hong Kong movie. <laughs> okay. So so maybe there's a, another Hong Kong film this year. Oh, so that's why actually you didn't announce the name, right? That's why I couldn't find that name. Right. So what I happens see. is I don't know if you know, like back in the 1980s um, in in the United States uh, on like Saturday or Sunday or something, they, like oh. some cities in the country would just play kung fu movies and they would be okay. dubbed in English, um, oh. and they're probably edited and. But there's like a, a cult audience for this. I see. And what I loved about it is people didn't know what movie was going to be shown. Or sometimes they knew it. They didn't really care what movie was going to be shown. They just showed up because they trust. The Kung Fu, right? Kung Fu, yeah. And I feel like that audience still exists. The thing is, you can sort of like, you could find whatever movie you want now because of streaming. It's not that hard to find these films. Mm-hmm. But it's impossible to see them on the big screen. And the yeah. best part is to watch it with an audience. Because... When we show Mystery Kung Fu Theater, the audience is laughing, they're screaming, they're, and you, you feel a sense of community. And people keep coming back every single year, even though we never reveal what the movie is. And then we tell them, you're sworn to secrecy. You're not allowed to tell anybody <laughs> what movie you watch. So I will say wow. it's usually a Hong Kong movie. Okay, but right now you are not going to give us any hint, right? Okay, no that's yeah. great. Okay, but I okay, we're waiting for her to see about that one. But beside that one, right now we don't know yet. But right now on schedule, right? At least like I think that's seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's a Hong Kong film. Okay, so how about um, we just based on the order or any any order that you want to discuss? Okay, like the the which one that you want to talk about first? Um, maybe I'll talk about Septet, the story okay, of Hong sure. Kong. Okay. Um, this one, because this is officially, this is a film from 2020, the year 2020. Mm. And so usually, so technically this is, this wouldn't qualify for our film festival, but Mm -hmm. this is a special case. Um, first of all, I've been hearing about this movie since it was called Octet. (laughs) Like this is, uh, but then, so the idea was, um, Johnny Toe, uh, Mm. was the producer of this project and he basically Mm. got seven of his other kind of director friends who were mm-hmm. all like, you know, the biggest Hong Kong directors in the 80s and 90s yes. to get together. And each person can make a short film that mm-hmm. takes place in a different decade in Hong mm-hmm. Kong's history, mm-hmm. roughly a different decade. Um, other rules were oh, everyone was shooting on 35 millimeter, which, you know, like I, I was Old hearing fashion. about this maybe eight years ago nine, or seven, mm-hmm. eight years ago. So back then people were still shooting on film. Um, and then every year I would check in with the sales agent and the producers and they would say, ah, it's not ready yet, it's not ready yet. And as soon Octet became Septet because John Wu dropped out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so getting it now, part, part of me is like, uh, it feels like it's kind of old, but it almost feels like this, is, this was the last gasp of air in some way. <laughs> so like these filmmakers who don't make movies in Hong Kong anymore, right? Like Anne Hoyt, mostly makes films in China. Choi Hark only makes films in China. Um, uh, even Johnny Toe. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't really make movies at all anymore, sadly. And the last few, even he has been making films in, in China. Mm-hmm. So to sort of see all these filmmakers still like be committed to, I'm going to tell a Hong Kong story. Um, okay. And... And, and, and here it is. And I, I mean, I would say like not all of them are great films, but I think it's, it's the collective of it. It means so much to see this as a group. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And I then it came out that because t- I, I'm sorry. Okay. Because I, I read a lot of reveal, actually a lot of like negative reveal from the Hong Kong film critics circle. 
and uh, a lot of them actually criticized. Some of the short actually were really bad. <laughs> but I think just like you said, right? Once when you collected the seven directly all together, and then when we watch the whole story all together, it really means something to the Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. yeah. And also some of us are just completists. Like I need to watch anything that Anne Hoy makes. <laughs> I just need to watch anything uh, Johnny. So-, so this is like auteurism, right? And this is why we love the master section. Like some, I'll play films in the master section that are like, that's not the best film by this director. But I know some of you need to watch everything by this director. So it has sort of a built-in audience that watches movies this way. You know, to be honest, I really feel like disappointed or like I totally like gave up Choi Huck's film uh, because he, he made, you know, the Changjin, the Lake yeah. of Changjin, right? I, I just totally like give up, okay? He's actually no longer like a Hong Kong film director, but... You know, the, the, the shot that he made for this one is so good, right? You yeah. still can tell it's really a master. Right. Uh, yeah. So re- you cannot reject that title for from him. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's worth to, to watch it. Okay. And then how about the second one you want to discuss? Which one? Um, Maybe we could do some of these Asia pop films. Uh, okay, in the sure. Asia pop section. Um, yeah. I guess speaking of Johnny Till. We have Till, three, yeah. right? We have three so, there. Uh, the Detective and Mama's Affair and then The Narrow Road. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about Detective versus Sleuth since we're kind of, yeah, of mentioned Johnny Toe and then yeah. of course Johnny Toe's longtime collaborator of Wyckoff mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. um, I I usually I mean Johnny Toe gets all the credit right for, yeah, for being yeah. the, the great mm-hmm. the great filmmaker and for good reason and so but people are often wonder like what how much of your movies are is Johnny Toe how much of it is Wyckoff because we usually just say it's a Johnny Toe movie mm-hmm. um so the more you watch Wyckoff by himself, you realize, I think he's the crazy one. <laughs> I think, yeah. like, Johnny Toe is such a... His movies are so rigorously perfect, right? Like, everything yeah. is exactly where it needs to be. Like, there's no redundant information. Uh, you have to watch it very carefully. And if you do, wow, it's just... A, it's like a perfect puzzle piece coming together. Mm-hmm. Whereas Wyckoff is the madman. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, he's made movies about like with with the word mad in it in the title (laughs) Uh, and detective versus sleuths is very much in that tradition um Mm -hmm. you have Lao Ching once again playing kind of a a quote-unquote mad character um I mean this movie is uh, it doesn't really make sense (laughs) like I've watched it and (laughs) I I it just gets weirder and weirder as it goes goes along but something about that reminds me of like the Hong Kong cinema I fell in love with in the like the 1990s just these films that are made very quickly that have a kind of manic energy to them and that puts Hollywood to shame, makes Hollywood just look super lazy and bored. Um, Nothing about Detective vs. Lutz feels bored. (laughs) Like This is just nonstop action pummeling your brain. Um, and then the acting were so fast in the first 20 minutes. (laughs) If you miss, okay, so don't go to the theater late. If, right. if you go late, right, if you miss the first 20 minutes, you actually miss the whole story. <laughs> I think the yeah. beginning is so important to get yeah. you into the story. And yeah, like I said, it's, it goes very fast. <laughs> very, very, very fast, yes. Yeah. You know, um, this, this movie actually is released in some main theater, for example, like AMC. So mm-hmm. I actually already went to see it in AMC Atlantic in LA. You know, full of audience like i think that was like f- my first time that i i went to a hong kong movie kind of like full house not uh-huh. kind of actually it's really full house uh at night uh i think we went there at 9 30 yeah it's the night yeah. show night screening but full house and then it's so good right you know the experience because the people are just chasing the scenes <laughs> and then they laugh and sometime and yeah so i think 
going to see a movie in the theater is really very different from we are just like streaming the film at home. Yeah, especially a movie like this where sometimes you don't, you're not sure if you should laugh because it's so kind of corny at times. And, but no, when you for hear... the pregnant pre- for the pregnant woman that <laughs> oh that section is everybody's laugh, you know. <laughs> right. Oh my goodness, I can't, I still can't okay. believe that happened in this movie. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we're waiting. Okay. So please, the audience, go to see the movie. There should yeah. be a lot of surprise for oh, yeah. you to to catch on. Yeah. And the next one, Mama's Affair. Yeah. I mean, this is really also one that got a release in, in some cities in the, in the United States. It wasn't released yeah. commercially in in San Diego, um, and so it's actually our our fastest selling movie so far of the festival. Um, wow. This is just. Do you I know mean, why? Yeah, I think it's because of the it's the pop star. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. just like the BTS version, the Hong right. Kong version of BTS. You know. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I like it. I mean, he's he's fine in it. Um, I just like mm-hmm. seeing. The actress uh, is Teresa Mo, um, mm-hmm. who I know from like again nineteen nineties Hong Kong yeah. films, and she's one of these like great nineties Hong Kong actresses who disappeared, sort of like half disappeared when they got married, and this sort of I mean like Hong Kong is pretty bad when it comes to representation of like middle aged women, like mm-hmm. um, young actresses are hot and then suddenly they disappear. Um, mm. It's like. The, these scriptwriters don't know what to do with a yeah. woman who's over 40 years old. So part of it is on the side of the scriptwriters, but also part of it is I feel like, I don't know if it's so, like, like, like societal pressures or whatever it is, or, or, or like these actresses will get married to somebody and then sort of disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's countless examples of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so to see Teresa Mo back in a movie uh, where she plays somebody who is... Mm-hmm. Um, who has kind of been out of the industry. She plays someone who used to be a talent agent, uh, talent manager, um, but has been out of the industry because she got married and had a child. Mm -hmm. But this is her comeback story. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's hard. I I see it definitely as the characters come back, but also the actresses come back. And then maybe also like a certain, like a spirit of Hong Kong cinema will never die also, right? Hong Kong entertainment. Like we will... um, that we're still here and we're still going to foster a new generation. We're still here to support the new generation. Just the f- sense of continuity. And this, amongst other reasons, that this is just such a kind of a lovable movie. The music is pretty good, too. Um, and just a great like behind the scenes look at the Hong Kong entertainment industry with some cameos as well. Yeah. And then also by the end, there's a lot of extra credit for the audience to watch. Do you remember? By the end of the movie, there's the Louis Gu, Gu Tien. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then right. some other, actually some other actor and actress also showing up by, by the um, end credit. And then just one additional remark on Theresa Mo. Actually, she never disappeared from the Hong Kong audience sense because she, even though maybe, yes, um, not a lot of movies that she's acting, but actually she's very active in other fields, for example, uh-huh. like theaters and then oh, also great. like TV industry. Mm. And that's actually, I think she's still holding some radio show. And so she is actually really multi-talent and then she is so good in everything, I think, not only yeah. acting. Uh, I think maybe besides just singing, I probably maybe she never sang, <laughs> <laughs> but I think she's yeah she is very active in in many many uh, other other fields. Oh, that's so great to I, hear. Yeah, yeah, I don't think she's actually really disappeared from the Hong Kong like Hong Kong people. Okay, she's not like Bridget Lin or something. Oh, no, or Maggie no, no. Chung. Yeah, no. Bridget Lin right now has become a writer. Do you know that? She's very active in those literature circle. Oh, great. Yeah, she just got a, got a, won a reward on the best writer in Hong Kong. 
Bridget Lynn. Oh, that year. makes me. What what did she write? Like like stories? She fiction? wrote no no no. She wrote some just essay about her uh, life and then oh, wow. and then she. I think she's also uh kind of like a big fan to Eileen Chang. Mm-hmm. So she also wrote something like reveal on a book on Eileen oh. Chang. Yeah, so very interesting. Wow, uh, actress. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The next one, the narrow uh, the next, road. The narrow road. So this one is uh, probably the li- less known of all of the films that we're showing because it world premiered at the Edinburgh International Film Festival just mm-hmm. a couple months, ago, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is so good. I I okay, can't get over too. how how much I like this one. Um, it's a, I mean, it's more of an independent film, um, but at the core is a potential love story, which is why I put it in this section. Um, so it's about two people who, so it's a COVID movie. Um, it's about, um, ordinary people in Hong Kong who are just trying to get by. So one guy is a, he's, he has a cleaning business. And of course with COVID, he's able to pivot in order to doing disinfecting um, office buildings and stuff mm-hmm. but specifically he's disinfecting the, the world of the rich um, and then meanwhile his neighbor who's kind of this spunky single mom um, mm-hmm. ends up being his assistant and then you know they go on they're trying to make it and then there's a little bit of like are you two do you two like each other <laughs> to the narrative which is you know like it's it makes this such a lovable because also like she's got a young daughter and it's like oh this would be a good family, <laughs> but then you. But then there's a certain kind of economic reality um, that starts to set in, and you realize this is more than just a romance. This is about um, the world that we <laughs> like, like the haves and have-nots. Um, this powerful scene in which um, they go into an apartment building and they notice mm-hmm. that this rich people in Hong Kong they're they're stockpiling masks. Mm-hmm. Like wow. boxes and boxes of masks, including kids' masks. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, she and her family have to reuse their own masks every single day. And so, st- so moments like that, and then of course the little drama of like, should she steal it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, wow. and and so you know that gives it a little bit more dramatic focus, and not just so it's not just like a social realistic um, uh, portrait. Um, yeah, it, it's just such an endearing movie about um, what happened in this un, uh, un, unusual year. But as you know, like that year was unusual also because of Hong Kong, right? Like the, that there were protests up to 2019, but by 2020, it's sort of like the co- like COVID was possibly what emptied out the streets also. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so when you see the emptied streets, the film blames it on COVID, but we as an audience know there's more to it than that. There's more backstory mm-hmm. than just this is COVID time. So this is what I'm talking about when I say Hong Kong filmmakers are a lot smarter than we give them credit for, right? Like, yeah, there's censorship now, but there's a way to get around it, to tell that story without telling that story. Because there's a sense that the movie throughout, like you get a, a feeling of Hong Kong people we need to, like we'll stand up for each other, we'll stick up for each other. Again, that has a different kind of um, subtext, just knowing what's not being said. Do you know the directors, the previous film for yeah. this director? Um, May you stay forever young. Xiaolin, yeah. Xiaolian. Actually, it was banned. Um, no, I cannot say banned. Okay, but it just because they they couldn't get the the permit to show in right. Hong Kong. But this one, right now, they got the permit, and then they already screened in Hong Kong in the Asian Film Festival in Hong Kong. Right. Yeah, um, 
so because I never seen this film, so I don't know. How about the acting? Because the actress and the actor actually, they yeah. both of them got nomination from the Golden Horse, right? From Taiwan. Yeah. What do you think about the acting? Um, it's good. They're good. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, the guy I don't remember his name, but like I've he's in a lot of films now. Like I see him around. Zhang Gai Chong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and then the actress reminded me, actually she reminded me a lot of Fei Wang and Chungking Express. Oh. Um, which you know not everyone thinks that's necessarily good acting, but it's sort of like it has. Just energy um, and, and personality. She's um, new. I think this ah, okay. is yeah. This was her first uh, feature. Okay. Yeah, I've I've never seen her before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just great to see like new blood. Yeah, new blood. And yeah. then also you're right, right? Hong Kong people are so smart; they can find a way to still mm-hmm. present the idea, even though they got yeah they got something for the previous film. It it didn't allow them to show it, but continue to make the politician that's why i think it's very surprised like uh the director lam sum um mm-hmm. he has a new film and he got nomination from the taiwan horse i mean the golden horse and then also like um got selected by the san diego asian film festival it's a great news to him yeah, yeah. okay and then what was the we still have three more to go. Should we talk about Blue Island next? Okay, sure. Yeah, it's related, yeah. right? Yeah, it's related. And uh-huh. um, well, this, so this is a case where Hong Kong filmmakers are smart for other reasons. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, give me a footnote for that because this one actually they didn't get the permit to show in Hong Kong. So Correct. right now, um, yeah. the, the people so, in so Hong Kong, there, they couldn't watch it. Yeah. So this is not smart in terms of trying to sidestep the censors, but they had no interest in that. They knew exactly what they were yeah. diving into. So mm-hmm. this is a... Um, I guess it's not quite right to call it a documentary. It's kind of a hybrid film, yeah, documentary right. and fiction hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, uh, the last couple of years, we've seen so many protest movies in mm-hmm. Hong Kong, and they're all so valuable, and like we're we're lucky to have them mm-hmm. um, as a archive, as a time capsule mm-hmm. of of cameras in the streets. Um, and I'm not saying we're tired of those because we there's still so many stories to be told from the ground perspective. Mm-hmm. But Blue Island, I think, is aware of the fact that um, maybe there are other ways to tell that story mm-hmm. um, of, of protest. And it's aware of the fact that the Hong Kongers have been protesting for decades. Yeah. That this is not anything. I mean, for so long, I think Hong Kong has a bad reputation for being apolitical. It's like a mm-hmm. capitalist bastion and mm-hmm. everyone's so comfortable and mm-hmm. the British, and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but actually, I mean, any, any student of Hong Kong knows that there's long been protests in the 1960s, the riots. Um, we should also, and, and this film is really smart to mention that after Tiananmen Square, like Hong Kong became actually a very important space for talking about democracy in China. And mm-hmm. and the film is pretty like um, explicit about saying like we were on the side of people in China, right? Like mm-hmm. we are pro Chinese people who want to find, like we, we, we feel kinship with people in China who are, are after their freedom. Mm-hmm. Who are against um, authoritarianism? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in that way, the film is not anti-China. I, mean, I think sometimes a lot of the, um, these films become branded that way. Mm-hmm. What they are is they're anti-colonialism, they're anti-imperialism, anti-authoritarianism. Um, yeah. um, they are all about how do we set our people free and how do we have the ability to tell our own stories and live the lives we want. Mm-hmm. And so, 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 sort of like Blue Island takes us away from the kind of obvious identity politics of you know Hong Kongers are different from mainlanders. Instead, mm-hmm. it's about that may be the case, but let's talk about what's really at stake, which is our freedom and mm-hmm. the freedom of, of all of us. Yeah. And so, it does that by 
making these comparisons, right? Like, the, how do we juxtapose these riots of the 1960s with the Tiananmen Square protests in the 80s and 90s and on actually continuing? Um, and then, of course, with the more recent um, protests. Um, and that first putting it in a continuum and then also talking about how we the current generation is kind of tied up in that legacy. And they do this in such a clever way yeah. by having people of this generation reenact the, yeah. uh, the protests older generation, of the past. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so something about it that is kind of uncanny, right? Because mm-hmm. like, we know it's all an act. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of a documentary to have reenactments of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but it becomes a sort of a self-aware way of saying, let's, um, I think a part of it is, let, let's, let's tell this story again, right? Like, that's, we don't want somebody else coming in and telling us what our history is, because that's also, you know, um, in Hong Kong, it's happening now, right? The education, the textbooks are being rewritten. Mm-hmm. And so a movie like this is coming to say, well, let's, let's destabilize that a little bit. Mm-hmm. This film isn't necessarily trying to say this is what our history is, because it's not. These are all reenactments. There's something kind of um, um, explicitly false about it. But it's, it's here as a provocation, as, like a, as a way of, as, as an echo. It's sort of like the, this, isn't a, this isn't a representation of the past. It's an mm-hmm. echo from the past, mm-hmm. an echoing into the very bodies of those of us who are protesting today as they are reenacting these scenes. And um, it's very artful, very creative, and I think very smart. Yeah, very awful and very creative. And then additional to one more point is from a Hong Kongers view from that is, um, is you know, the history of Hong Kong usually, I, I think even though I, I was born and raised in Hong Kong, so we know that our history either written by the British or from the Chinese side of the government. And then usually the people in Hong Kong in this history, historical discourse, we are actually absent in how to speak out our history. And then, so I think Blue Island, I think back to the whole thing about the story of Hong Kong, I think Blue Island actually want to very actively to engage mm. in the conversation by by telling you, okay, what do our Hong Kong people see about our history? That's why he made that drama thing by asking the, the younger generation to act the previous generation and to try to have that kind of like conversation and then to tell them, oh, what do I see about, how do you see the, that part of history? Oh, you are nationalistic, you love your country, but to us, okay, this younger generation, actually, I don't get it, okay? That's why right. I think they make fun of that when they act um, that uh, conversation in the past for their like their older generation. So so it kind of like to take the, the what how, how to say that, like the, the subject of Hong Kong in the front in the front mm. hand mm. right okay so our last two okay i think our discussion always go back to johnny toe right <laughs> <This> two. <laughs> oh uh, boy we yeah. started from detective <laughs> from johnny to and why fire and then right now we by the end okay we also go back to johnny toe I know. I, I, there was a long-running joke at our festival that it wouldn't be the San Diego Asian Film Festival if there wasn't one, possibly two films directed by Johnny Tso. Because, like, six years ago, he was making two movies a year, and they were all masterpieces. Yeah. Um, so the last few years, we haven't had any Johnny Tso movies. But, uh, <laughs> but there are new restorations of, of two films I, I actually did not expect to get the 4K restoration treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that when we think about the classics of 1990s Hong Kong cinema, there are certain like bona fide classic movies, mm-hmm. right? like Comrades, almost a love story, and all the Wong Kar Wai movies. Mm-hmm. Usually, like the ones that seem a little trashier, don't yeah. get the very expensive restoration treatment. 
Right. Um, I'm so glad someone took a chance on the Heroic Trio and brought that back. Like for me, like I know Heroic Trio from like VCDs yeah. <laughs> or or like like back when I was a kid, we would go to like the Chinese video store and be like the double VHS tapes. Um, like that that's that's how I remember Heroic Trio. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember if I saw it in Mandarin or Cantonese. Just back in the day, like, like we just like my parents sort of speak Mandarin, so they've mm-hmm. got the Mandarin version probably. Um, although I don't know if they showed me Heroic Trio because this is a little. I don't know if this they should be showing this to to kids. There's a lot of baby napping and yeah. <laughs> baby killing in this yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the main attraction is the stars. Yeah. Um, and and what a year to be celebrating these three stars. So front and center is Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. Um, she's had such an incredible year because of everything, everywhere, all at once, mm-hmm. becoming one of the biggest movies in the like uh, unexpectedly biggest movies in the world. Yes. Uh, which is a movie that's not just starring her, but in some ways it's about her. It's yes. about her her star persona, about all the movies she's ever been in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Michelle Yeoh clearly, mm-hmm. Anita Moy is in this film, and um, at our spring showcase earlier this year, we've played the Anita. Uh, biopic Mm -hmm. um so she's kind of been back in the spotlights um and and i I mean obviously we all love anita moy and any chance Mm -hmm. to see her on screen Mm -hmm. is great and then maggie chung uh, into just one car wide with all the new restorations the new blu-rays and everything kind of back in back in the conversation so the fact that the three of them were in the movie together where they were just just thrashing everyone in sight and just being the coolest people on earth with the best costumes um and and michelle that that was the height of her powers um anita moy too maggie chung at this point was still kind of like the cute girlfriend in a lot of movies it's before she was like in the mood for love maggie chung Mm -hmm. um and so it's just great to see them in their elements and I will say like having only watched this movie ever on like vcd and vhs this 4k release is incredible it's like only one kawaii movies are we thought could look like this from that period um and we can very clearly see just how mad <laughs> like this the, the the story is um a script written by a woman um that's starring three women um yeah and the executioners is the sequel to it and that also got the restoration treatment quite surprising uh, right Executioner right. got the restoration because I think compared to the heroic trial, I think is the quality actually go down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm glad that you also picked that one uh, because I think we we won't have any chance to see the executioner. You know, right. I think even um, the box office it, it didn't go so well at that moment of time, but the heroic trial is really big yeah. thing at that year. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We just figured like if both are now available for on restorations <laughs> that we can book, oh. I, I might as well because yeah, like you said, when will I ever have a chance to show Executioners? This is the only time to show it. Yeah, when I have the yeah. other one. Yeah, I really want to go. I think that was on Wednesday, right? No. Um, yeah, it's no, in the middle of the week. Something like that. Yeah. So I, I, I really need to make some plan to go because the version, just like you mentioned, is on VCD. It's so bad, and then you know because the movie, the color is very dark, right? Mm-hmm. I think they shot it in even most kind of like in a cave, something. <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's just so dark, and then the the VCD quality so bad. I, I actually couldn't tell what what did they do. Right. Right, but they, I, I know that they're acting a lot, but it's just uh, the quality. So I'm really expecting for this the 4K restoration. And then to see it with the audience too, like the yeah. audience is gonna just dig 
dig up both movies. And I'm gonna be sure the first one, the hero trial, they will laugh oh, a lot so because good. there's so many ridiculous, and then you cannot <laughs> believe that's made by Johnny Toe. <laughs> right. Yeah. Bef- before he's like a cre- credible, like great exactly, auteur. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of like hard to imagine. So that's why I think is it more like. Impact by Cheng Xiaodong, Cheng Xiaodong, or maybe like, yeah, right? You think so? He did the action on both, and he's actually credited as the co-director on Execution. The second one, yeah, but not yeah. the first one, right? No, yeah, I think at that time, I mean, a lot of people say Hong Kong action movies are actually directed by the action directors. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, like, what is the director even doing, really? Exactly. And maybe, maybe Johnny Cho was actually learning a lot during these times Maybe, yeah. about like how do how do you craft a, an action scene yeah. because i mean i'm ching talking like his his action scenes are just also just impeccably put together mm-hmm. um what i tell my students is uh, my students think to shoot an action scene you just have like four cameras on at the same time and then piece it together in the edit but no in hong kong they had one camera and they knew exactly what each shot is going to be and how it's related to the other one and that's why it's so inventive and that's why it keeps yeah. you on the edge of your seat none of it is none of it feels redundant and yeah okay so so good to have you brian that explained to us all the films and we i i feel very exciting i'm I'm going to see most of them i think um when i have time and then i will drive down to san diego and i will see you hopefully yep are you going to be there for most of the screening i'll be there every day uh i don't know if i'm introducing all of these necessarily but i'm around so oh, hope, wow. hope to okay. see you and then any any of the audiences. Okay, and then I know the the uh, some of the Hong Kong film actually is co-presented by some Hong Kong group, right? Yep. So I mean, this is also something that, um, be- I think it's I think it's because Hong Kong groups. I mean, San Diego doesn't have a huge Hong Kong community, mm-hmm. but it's a tight knit one because I think they realize, you know, like we need to like get together and exactly. we need yeah. we need to teach like we i think a lot of people want to bring their kids out to movies because mm-hmm. they can listen to cantonese yeah. and feel like they're part of something bigger mm-hmm. um sometimes if if and this is like the hong kong diaspora is ever more important right yeah. now yeah. as a place where these histories these stories these languages will continue to to live on so thank you brian thank you i will see you next time uh the listener from hong kong on screen podcast bye-bye